Welcome to the SRM Podcast, the bit for your ears that trades paint with a bit for your eyes. Sim Racing Magazine. And yes, welcome indeed. It's Peter Brill here with edition five of the SRM Podcast. You're very welcome. And of course, we start with our illustrious editor, Andy Marston. Uh, Andy, thanks for joining us as always. And first of all, Sim Racing Magazine, what are we likely to see in this edition? So we've got the welcoming news, news bites. Chaz has done a section in there um, about the winter off season, what he was up to and what he's looking forward to for the new season. Steve Haley has also put a, a touring car issue in there as well. So he's got a new series running, which is uh, written about, which is really interesting. Gary Tall is going to be producing an article on his rig as well. We've done three articles now on the rig, and the next one is another part to the series, which is really fascinating. Matty Weil has also put uh, an article in about UK sim racing and where they are at the moment and some of the results and things. So that's that's an interesting read. But I've done a review as well on uh, LED light flag display. It's physical box. 3D printed, but the 3D printing is actually very, very good quality. It looks like it's been moulded, which I think's got about 32 LEDs. It shows you it shows you all the race flags. Plus, it tells you when to put your limiter on when you're entering the pits and exiting the pits. It does spotting as well. So if it's got a, if you've got a car at the side, you know it warns you that they're getting quite near that kind of thing. Now, you've also been busy with uh, setting up a new championship, GT4 Challenge. Tell us a bit about that. It really started because Sim Racing Magazine, we had a couple of special events and they were so successful. Following that, um, I got talking to Chaz and said, you know, where can we go with this? And he suggested that we probably go for a GT4 championship. And because we've been racing with the cup cars, the GT4 would give us the opportunity to race with one of three cars so you've got the Cayman, McLaren and the BMW. I was expecting if I got 15 drivers I was over the moon to be honest and then as the names came in we've got 45 so we've got the grid of 34 and 11 on the reserve yeah so if, if somebody drops out from the championship we can then select the next person off the reserve list and I think that's probably the fairest way really. People are teaming up with somebody else making the team name and hopefully I'm not sure it's going to work yet, but hopefully we can allocate points to a team as well. The first race is Road Atlanta. Round two is Sebring. Round three, Daytona. I've never raced at Daytona. Then we're going to jump to the UK where we're going to do Silverstone. And then the last eight remaining races, we're going to go into Europe and finish off the championship in Europe. So it's every other week. So the 12 races are going to take 24 weeks to, to complete. So I think I've named it right, the GT4 Challenge. It's not going to be complicated, is it? I mean, it's not going to have a lot of a lot of rules. It's just, no, I guess, a no, bit of fun. It is. There is points in this one, very similar rules to the, the special events. So we're keeping it to the minimal. And we'll be finding out more from Andy about how the first race at Road Atlanta went on at the end of the podcast. But one of the really big things about uh, setting up this particular GT4 challenge is that, of course, we have the help of Chaz Draycott, who many of you have heard commentating on all kinds of championships, but in particular the Porsche GB Challenge series over the last two or three years. And I had the chance to catch up with Chaz, and although he writes about his full season in the 
the sim racing magazine itself. I asked him what kind of start he'd had to the year. Yeah, it's it's been nuts to be honest. I made a bit of a mistake last year in letting things slip with sim racing commentary. You know, I I obviously focused on the real world stuff as a priority because that's where I want to be mostly with all of the commentary side of things. But until about middle of last year, I never actually asked for any work. And I started then asking for work about October time when the season started dying down and I thought, yeah, I'm going to need some sim racing stuff here. I've had a lot of it and it's been uh, it's been pretty mental to be fair. Have you always enjoyed motorsport from behind the microphone or did you start behind the wheel? How did it all start? I grew up watching Formula One with my dad. Uh, The first race I ever remember watching, I think, was the 1996 Australian Grand Prix where Hill and Villeneuve had that epic fight near the end in the two Williams. Even growing up, when I was playing with like toy cars and stuff on your bed as you do and making these little races, I would always narrate it in some way. I I always came up with like plans when I was a kid to make races based on chance instead of me deciding, you know, oh, this guy's going to win, you know, making my own storylines, rolling dice even to determine what happened, stuff like that. I appreciated commentary. You know, I grew up listening to Charlie Cox, Murray Walker, Martin Brundle, even John Watson as well, who I think still to this day is one of the best commentators you'll ever hear because he just says it how it is. Got a chance with Apex Racing TV on iRacing years ago when I saw how their broadcasts work and it's uh, safe to say it's blossomed a little bit up to this point. (laughs) Do you remember your first commentary? I do, yes. It was the BSR MX-5 Winter Series at Watkins Glen and I was working alongside Andrew Woodhouse and Alex Simpson of Apex Racing TV who I have always, always looked up to and to work with them straight off the bat was pretty amazing. My first real-world commentary was I did two races as part of a race weekend at Alton Park, my local circuit, where I was just shadowing another guy. I think his name was Clive Woodward. And on air, he called me like his novice accomplice or something like that. And I was just, I saw red. <laughs> I hated that. But it was clearly just the opinion of, uh, of one guy that thought he knew it all. And yeah, I've, I've progressed since then. But I've not actually seen or worked with Clive since then, but it'd be funny to see him again and see what he thought now. <laughs> How did it develop from there? What, what happened from those early days? 90% of it was sim. I, I always wanted to do real world stuff, but you know, without sounding big headed, I instantly just got a lot of really high praise from people about my style of doing it. You know, there was always the same feedback and I still get it now. More and more people seem to enjoy what I did. I met more and more friends that were involved in real-world motorsport. My good friend Mark Fletcher got me an opportunity with the Sports 2000 Championships here in the UK, and I was their series commentator for 2020. You know, I I met David Addison online through lockdown. We met up, had a few chats, and he's been the real help for my career. You know, he's got me so many opportunities, and I can't ever thank him enough. And then the real sort of massive moment that gave me the leap to go and do it full time was doing the Nürburgring 24 hours in 2020 and actually going out to the Nürburgring to do it. It was an unreal opportunity at a time where I really didn't feel like I deserved it. You know, it it came out of the blue, really did. And you set up your own business now on the back of this. Yes, I did set it up originally because I was starting to do a lot of media work in different ways because I, I do video editing and photography within the sims as well and i can do social media for people i've just basically registered to be self-employed just as chas draycott media stupidly enough for me and in a very scary way my own fate is in my own hands (laughs) watching the commentaries how do you get to grips with not just doing the talking bit but cutting back to a previous incident or looking at different views because you're doing all that yourself you don't have a camera crew to do that for you 
sometimes it's down to the software. We we use SDK on most of the broadcasts that I do, and you get something called an event viewer in the bottom right. So every time there's an overtake or somebody goes under a certain speed, it says like they've stopped or they've crashed or whatever. Usually, though, because I enjoy the racing so much, something in my mind just says, look, this happened a while ago. You're going to remember that. And it just tells me to do it. Going a bit deep with this, I've always sort of questioned whether I'm on some sort of autistic spectrum with some of the behavioural traits that I've shown throughout my life and growing up and so on. Sort of my ability to multitask. I notice patterns and things with colours and my mind tags things in different ways and so on. And it sort of goes into this hyperactive state when, when we're broadcasting and I can just take a glance at info and make something of it. And it it's, it's interesting because I, I don't always think about it. I don't always think like, how did I remember that or how did that come about? But if I don't know something, I'll just say it how it is. I mean, Murray Walker once very famously said, speaking from memory, I don't know how many points PK's got. But I have started taking notes and things recently because when I'm involved in UK club motorsport, you know, there's so many different championships and drivers. You know, you could see the same driver in two different series, things like that. Just noting that down and doing a bit of research ahead of time just so you know what sort of cars you're going to see, what drivers you're going to see. It does make your job a lot easier. And how different is sim racing commentary from real world commentary? I'd say it's more difficult, a lot more difficult. Because when I've done circuit commentary, you can only be expected to commentate on what you can see. So I've commentated at Silverstone a few times. If you're in the Woodcote box, you can only ever see him come into Brooklands, round Field, down the straight, and that's it. When when you're doing sim racing commentary, it, it's kind of like doing broadcasted real-world motorsport because the cameras are at every corner. You know, you, There's not really any blind spots on the track. If I'm at a real-world event, and say there's two of us looking at the same car on track from different commentary boxes. If a red Porsche goes past, it's a red Porsche. You know, if it's on iRacing, I might have a different livery file to the other guy. It might be a white Porsche to me, but it's a red Porsche to him. You know, it makes that car a different entity to however we're doing it and how we describe it. So that can change how easy the job is. I think because there's technology involved in the sim racing side, and it's not just looking out a window and saying what you see, it is a lot more difficult, I'd say, the sim racing side. Every commentator thinks they're the best commentator in the world. That's the thing. You know, every commentator has their own style and they think that's the right way of doing it. I'm really conscious of being too loud in a microphone or shouting too much. So sometimes I sound a little bit boring compared to other commentators because I don't get as animated and so on. I, I always find now that I would rather have a second commentator with me because I bore the life out of myself when I'm on my own. I enjoy having a second commentator there because we can bounce off each other and have a lot of fun. Peter Mackay. Me and him have such a laugh on air. It's not forced. It's not put on. We genuinely love what we do. And we have so many puns. And Peter's knowledge is incredible. Um, I enjoy working with a lad called Jack Johns as well. Uh, he's known as the racing line on uh, on the iRacing and sim racing communities. And he's a really, really nice lad, is Jack. Edward May, he's another young up-and-coming talent as well. I loved working with David Allison. You know, I've, I've listened to him for so long. He's helped me out so much. Got the chance to work on my British Boring Car Championship with him for a bit of a laugh on uh, on Discord. Then we got the chance to work together. We commentated together on Clio Cup Europe, which was the best race I've ever commentated on, race two at Hockenheim. I was just purely enjoying myself, and you can hear it in the commentary. You know, David and I are both laughing all the way through. You've got Clio's going five wide down to the hairpin at Hockenheim, and, you know, there was like 48 cars in the race. It was ridiculous. But the racing was just phenomenal. To be there in that moment, enjoying that racing... There with David, commentating together. It's it's one of the real highlights of my career, I'd say. And it's it's been a short career so far as well, so you never know what could come around the corner. 
let's just come back to the Peter Mac relationship. How did that relationship come about? How did it develop? When we first got the Porsche Club GB sort of contract to broadcast the races, it was going to be me and Jack Werrell that worked together on it. And we were told, there's another guy coming in. He's been asked for by these guys. You know, they want him to come and commentate. He knows his stuff. So he's going to be a third voice in the box. And we thought, yeah, okay, mint. We got him set up with SDK and everything else. He had all the software he needed. And Peter would be so excited about getting his information across that we'd, we'd miss one of several accidents that happened each corner and so on. And I thought, mm, this just isn't really working with three of us here. Jack, fair play to him, said, look, there's too many of us in the commentary box for this. You know, Peter's got great information and so on. I'll back out of it and it can just be you two. And just in time, I think me and Peter just started to click. You know, it, it takes time to understand another commentator in the box. The banter that he has with it, based on his knowledge of stuff, it's just so much fun because... When you're commentating, it's not just about fact reading and telling people what they're looking at. You've got to be entertaining as well. And I think Peter and I have got a similar approach to that, so it it just clicks. Finally, Chaz, 2022, just briefly, what have you got on the stocks? What are you looking forward to? What's next? Well, I'm happy to say I'm back with the FIA European Truck Racing Championship. Uh, I go to Misano in Italy with them in May, and I'm sure they're going to get me very, very drunk again like they did last year. I've got a few UK club dates so far, but to be honest, I didn't find out about most of my dates last year until the 1st of March. A lot of the opportunities came to me last year, so I'm just going to see where we're at, but most excited for the trucks. Well, he may be looking forward to commentating on truck racing, but one of the things he certainly enjoyed was the first round of the Sim Racing Magazine GT4 Challenge. Now, earlier on in the podcast, you'll have heard editor Andy Marston talking about how the challenge was set up. And of course, now we've had the first race at Road Atlanta. So, Andy, how did it all go? Well, the race was incredible, to be quite honest. There was 31 drivers on the grid for this this first race, which is just outstanding. So we had the hour practice, 30 minutes was the qualifying round, and it was a full hour race. So we had a rolling start, and it was just incredible. It was lap after lap of clean racing. It's worth looking back. It was so close, bumper to bumper, for many, many laps. So it was, it, it was really, really good. I was expecting people to be going slower at the beginning, just to get the tyres up to, to, up to temperature, but... It, it was a sprint race right from the go. It was so tiring as well. After the hour, I was completely shattered. And I, and I came in like 26. So, um, you know, that's off to the top guys up there. They did a great job. We set the fuel this time at 40%. So what we did was we had um, two pit stops rather than three. Some people took tyres. Some people took tyres and fuel. Some people just took fuel. I mean, how did that work? Because it's quite different from the championships we normally race in, isn't it? It is. Some people did take tyres, some drivers did. I didn't. I wanted to spend the least amount of time stopped in the pits, so I just went with my old tyres. Unfortunately, when I, when I did pit on the first one, I overshot my pit crew, so I lost about 40 seconds trying to get back in, into position. But towards the end of the race, I wish I probably took some tyres on the, on the second pit stop. I think the McLaren is, is pretty heavy going on, on front end. Um, I could feel my tyres had gone away, really, so I was losing seconds a lap. Um, so, yeah, because we're not used to doing pit stops, I think that's something I've to concentrate on. And what about the overall results? Was it as expected? What was the outcome? Oh, well, right from the go, Simon Povey led like he did in the last two events. And then Mark Baxter-Jones got by Simon to take the win. 
So that's three wins now for, for Mark Baxter-Jones. He won both special events and has also won the first round of this challenge, this, this championship. So well done to Mark. Simon came in second and uh, Johnny Elia came in third place. So, you know, great racing by those three guys. And what sort of feedback have you had from everyone that took part? We've had some fantastic feedback from all the drivers. Everyone's uh, looking forward to the next race, which is on the 15th of March, and that's going to be Sebring. So a, a total different track to uh, Road Atlanta. And how's that mixture of GT cars worked? Has it, has it been a success, do you think? From the first race, yeah, it's gone better than I thought. There was a mixture right, right the way through. Obviously, there's more Porsches taken to the grid, but actually the first two on the first row were Porsches, and then behind that, there was two McLarens. And we've got the BMWs in there as well amongst the mix of the Porsches. Yeah, it was good. It was entertaining. It was great to race with other mates of vehicle. I must thank the sponsors for the championship because, I'll be honest, without them, it would never get started, really. So I just wanted to thank Blinds to Go, Crockery Direct, Oris Digital, Midas Simulation and Shark E-Bikes. Absolutely great guys. They've given me loads of support. And again, it wouldn't have been possible without them. Just wanted to thank as well Steve Haley from DMA Digital Motor Art for providing some of the imagery and uh, doing a top job of it. I assume that if it's successful, you'll do another season. Absolutely. I think we're going to do the GT Force for this season, see how it goes, and then go from there. I don't know if it'd be another GT4 series. It might be something totally different. So we could have Mazdas one week and then, you know, Porsches the next, that kind of thing. And any final message for readers and listeners of the magazine and the podcast? Just keep supporting us. Thank you for for the support. I get a lot of messages now, not just from drivers, but from people who actually read the magazine, listen to the podcast, and they send me messages and, and you know, loads of support. I just wanted to thank everybody for, for everything, you know, for supporting us. And that's it for this edition of the Sim Racing Magazine podcast. Thanks, as always, to magazine editor Andy Marston. And you can listen to the podcast anytime on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and, of course, all good podcast apps near you. So thanks for your company, and until the next edition, this is Peter Brill wishing you fun racing, whatever you're driving, and wherever you're driving it. Thanks for listening.